0: Chapter Thirty Seven of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, 1768 to 1800, Part Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Memoirs of Chateaubriand, 1768 to 1800, Part Two by François René de Chateaubriand. Chapter Thirty Seven. London, from April till September 1822, revised in December 1846 i go to my mother at st malo progress of the revolution my marriage i wrote from arve to my brother in paris giving the details of my voyage explaining the motives of my return and requesting him to lend me the sum necessary to pay my passage he replied that he had sent my letter to my mother she did not keep me waiting but put me in a condition to pay my debts and quit arve in her letters she informed me that Lucile was with her and also my uncle the count de Bede, and his family this news determined me to go to st malo where i could consult my uncle on the subject of my approaching emigration revolutions like rivers swell as they flow i found the one i had left in france enormously enlarged and overflowing its banks i had left it with mirabeau under la constituante i found it with danton under la législative the news of the treaty of pilnitz of the twenty seventh of august seventeen ninety one had reached paris on the fourteenth of december while i was in the midst of tempests, the king announced that he had written to the princes of the germanic body especially to the elector of treves on the subject of the german armaments the king's brothers the prince de conde m de calon Viscount Mirabeau, and m de cueille were immediately accused a previous decree of the ninth of november had been directed against the other emigres and it was in these already proscribed ranks that i was hastening to place myself others would perhaps have recoiled But the right of the strongest always inclines me to take the side of the weakest the pride of victory is to me insupportable on my way from havre to saint malo i had opportunity to note the divisions and misfortunes of france chateaux burned or abandoned the proprietors scared by threats had made their escape the women had taken refuge in the towns the hamlets and small towns groaned under the tyranny of clubs connected with the central club of the cordeliers afterwards united to the jacobins the antagonist to this club the societe Monachique or societe de fouillant was no longer in existence the ignoble denomination of sans had become popular the king was called nothing but m vito or Monsieur Capet. I was tenderly received by my mother and the rest of my family who nevertheless deplored the inopportuneness of my return my uncle the count de bede was preparing to go to jersey with his wife his sons and his daughters the question was how to find funds to enable me to join the princess my voyage to america had made a breach in my fortune my property was almost annihilated in my portion as younger son by the suppression of the feudal rights the small benefices which should have fallen to me in virtue of my admission into the order of malta had been seized by the nation along with the other possessions of the clergy this concurrence of circumstances decided on the gravest act of my life i was made to marry in order to procure myself the means of going to risk my life in upholding a cause for which i had no love there lived in retirement at st malo a certain m de lavigne a knight of st louis and formerly commandant of l'orient the count d'artois had been his guest at the latter town when he visited brittany and had been so charmed with his host that he promised to grant him anything he might in future like to ask this m de lavigne had two sons one of them married mademoiselle de la placeliere two daughters the children of this marriage were early left orphans by the death of both parents the eldest married count du plessis commander of a vessel, the son and grandson of an admiral, now himself rear-admiral of the Red, and commandant of the Naval College at Brest. The youngest still lived with her grandfather, and was seventeen years old at the time of my return from America. She was fair and delicate in complexion, slight in figure, and very pretty. Her fair hair fell in natural curls on her neck, like a child's. Her fortune was reckoned at five or six hundred thousand francs. My sisters took it into their heads to make me marry Mademoiselle de la Vie, who had strongly attached herself to Lucile the affair was conducted without my knowledge i had not seen mademoiselle de la more than three or four times i knew her at a distance on the sillon by her rose-coloured pelisse her white dress and fair hair floating in the wind when i was sitting on the strand enjoying the embraces of my first love the sea i felt no qualification for the position of husband all my illusions were still vivid and unfaded none were yet exhausted on the contrary the energy of my existence seemed to have redoubled during my wanderings I was tormented by the muse. Lucile was fond of Mademoiselle de Labine, and saw an independent fortune for me in this marriage. Be it as you like, then, said I. In my character, the public man is immovable, the private man at the mercy of any one who wishes to influence him. To avoid the bickering of an hour, I would enslave myself for a century. The consent of the grandfather, the paternal uncle in the principal relations, was easily obtained. The only opponent was a maternal uncle, Monsieur de Vauvert, a great democrat. He is greatly against the marriage of his niece with an aristocrat like me. Yet I was not one at all. It was thought that the matter might proceed without his consent, but my pious mother insisted that the religious marriage should be performed by a priest non assermente and this could only be done in secret. Monsieur ververt heard of it, and set the magistracy upon us under pretext of abduction and violation of the law, bringing forward the pretended dotage into which the grandfather Monsieur de Lavine had fallen. Mademoiselle de Lavine, now become Madame de Chateaubriand without my having had any communication with her was carried off in the name of justice and put into the convent of la victoire in saint malo pending the decision of the tribunals there was neither abduction nor violation of the law nor adventure nor romance of love in the whole affair the marriage only possessed the unattractive side of romance truth the cause was pleaded and the tribunal had judged the marriage valid in a civil point of view the families being agreed on the matter m de Ververt desisted from his opposition the constitutional curate liberally paid no longer exclaimed against the first nuptial benediction and madame de chateaubriand quitted the convent whither she had been accompanied by lucile i had now a new acquaintance to make and she proved all that i could desire i know not that there has ever existed a finer intelligence than in my wife's she divines the thought and the word on the brow and lip of the person with whom she is conversing to deceive her in anything is impossible possessing an original and cultivated mind curious and inquiring in the most piquant way relating anything with wondrous cleverness. Madame de Chateaubriand admires me without ever having read two lines of my works. She would fear to meet in them with ideas differing from her own, or to discover that the rest of the world is not enthusiastic enough in its estimate of me. Although an impassioned judge, she is a well-informed and good one. Madame de Chateaubriand's faults, if she has any, flow from the superabundance of her qualities. My very real faults result from the sterility of mine it is easy to have resignation patience general obligingness of manner and serenity of temper when one takes interest in nothing becomes weary of everything and replies to misfortune as to good fortune by a desperate and despairing what does it matter madame de chateaubriand is better than i although of less easy intercourse have i been irreproachable in my conduct towards her have i given to my companion in life's journey all those feelings which she deserved and to which she had a right what happiness has she enjoyed in return for an affection which has never belied itself she has shared my adversity has been plunged into the dungeons of the reign of terror suffered the persecutions of the empire and the disgraces of the restoration and has not found in maternal joys a compensation for her troubles without children with whom perhaps in another union she would have been blessed and whom she would have loved to excess not receiving the honours or living in the atmosphere of tenderness surrounding the mother of a family and consoling her for the loss of her youth She has advanced childless and solitary towards old age, often separated from me, and with a distaste to literature, the pride of bearing my name is not a sufficient compensation. Timid and trembling for me alone, her constantly arising fears deprive her of sleep and of time to recover her health. I am her permanent infirmity and the cause of her relapses. Can I for a moment weigh a few little irritations which she has caused me against the care and anxiety I have caused her? or compare my qualities such as they are with her virtues which feed the poor which have established the infirmary of maria theresa in spite of every obstacle what are my labours beside her christian works when we both appear before the supreme tribunal i shall be the one to be condemned and in conclusion when i consider the whole tendency and imperfection of my nature is it certain that marriage has been the bane of my destiny i should doubtless have enjoyed more leisure and repose should have been better received in certain circles than by certain high ones of the earth but if madame de chateaubriand has differed with me in politics she has never prevented my following my own path because in that as in the matter of honour i judge solely by my own feelings should i have produced a greater number of works had i remained independent and would these works have been better have not circumstances occurred as will hereafter be seen in which marrying out of france i would have ceased to write and would have renounced my country if i had not married would not my weakness have given me up a prey to some unworthy object of attachment should i not have squandered and degraded my hours like lord byron now that i am growing old all my follies would be past i would have left nothing behind but regrets and a painful void i should be an old bachelor esteemed by none either continuing to be deceived or painfully undeceived an old bird repeating a worn-out song to inattentive ears the full license of my ideas would not have added a chord to my lyre or an accent of deeper feeling to my voice the restraint of my feelings the mystery of my thoughts have perhaps added to the power of my accents and animated my writings with an inward fever a hidden flame which would have been dissipated in the free air of love bound by an indissoluble tie i purchased with a little bitterness at first the enjoyments i now taste of the evils of my existence i have only retained the incurable portion tender and eternal gratitude do i owe then to my wife whose attachment has been as touching as it has been profound and sincere she has rendered my life of more weight and value more noble and more honourable by always inspiring me with respect for duty if not always making me feel its full force chapter thirty seven